Welcome to the Center Point Church Podcast. It is an honor to get to spend some time with you. We are learning about the life of John the Baptist in this new series called The Heretic Baptizer. Let's grow together as we learn more about the Word of God. We are starting off a two-week message series called The Heretic Baptizer, which is a super cool name. And, and, and this is about the life of John the Baptist. And so we're going to be covering a lot of information. I hope you brought something to take notes. If not, I encourage you to go back and re-listen to this. You can be one of the dozens of people that listen to this on YouTube monthly and, and really be a student of the Word of God. And so the heretic baptizer is really what a lot of the Pharisees referred to John the Baptist as. He was not popular amongst the religious people, but neither am I, not that I'm John the Baptist. But I want to set this up for just a moment on the timeline of where we are so that you can understand a little bit more. If you have a Bible, the very last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi. My daughters call it Malachi. But it's Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, and then one page later, or two if you have a fancy Bible, is Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. One page, but a lot changed. That one page represents 400 years of human history. That's why it feels so different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Rome's in power. Who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? When did some of the Israelites become the bad guys? Like a lot of things changed. But there's 400 years in seminary, they call it the intertestamental period. Don't be impressed by that. It means it's the period in between the testaments. All right, so use that in your social circles to have people be impressed with you this week. And, and, and during that intertestamental period, it wasn't just that it was 400 years. That's long enough. It's that it was 400 years of complete silence from God. Now, think about it. This is pre-Jesus. So the Holy Spirit wasn't in any of the people. And if he was, it was temporarily. But for all of human history, they've heard from either God himself, angels, judges, prophets. They always had something from God. They knew what he thought, what he wanted to do. What it, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 400 years of not hearing from God. Imagine what that would feel like. And, and you have 400 years with generations that go by. And what happens is the same thing that happens when you start praying and you don't get an answer for four weeks. Is God even listening? Is he even real? And, and, and all of these different teachings they held on to, man. They held on to the Torah. They held on to the prophecies. And, and, and they, they needed to know, is what God promised us all those years ago, is it true? Because it's been a while some of you have been in a, series, a, a timeline, a time frame of, of silence where you're like, I don't hear from God. I'm praying for this. Is what he said true? Does he really care? Is his eye really on the sparrow? Then is it on me? Because it feels like he's not around. I think we've all been there. Some of you may be in that, 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 that season of depravity and desolation even now. And, and that's what was going on worldwide. And, and they're holding on to Two particular prophecies, some from Malachi, remember that Malachi guy? Some from Malachi and some from Isaiah. I want to show you these two. Malachi 4, 5 through 6. This is God speaking through the prophet Malachi. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah. Who's he going to send? To you before that great and 
dreadful day of the Lord comes, dreadful for those who are against him, yes? He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Isaiah 43, this is going to be important. We're going to come back to this two other times. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway of our God. They're holding on to this because that's when the Messiah would show up. Jesus, the one they've been waiting for because they are hopeless. And now they're waiting for Elijah to show up. And now there's rumblings of a wild man in the Judean desert who's saying, hey, the Messiah we've been waiting for is here. He's here. People flock to the desert. In the middle of nowhere, very inconvenient to get there. Why? Because for the first time in their whole lives, they have hope. This world needs hope. Feels pretty hopeless sometimes. Sometimes it feels like evil is winning. And John the Baptist shows up. Your Orthodox Jews, by the way, the ones that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah, they're still waiting for Elijah. They missed it. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in the tax collector's gospel. 11 verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. There wasn't Elijah. It was a man with the spirit of Elijah. Listen to what John the Baptist says about himself recorded in Mark's gospel 1 verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. And then Mark writes this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John is a crucial figure. What's John look like? Who was he? Where'd he come from? Leonardo da Vinci has a, has a very famous painting of John the Baptist. If we could put this up on the screen. I saw this for the first time and I was like, bro, this looks like Kenny G and Weird Al Yankovic had a love, had a love child. <laughs> it's 2023 after all, anything's possible. I can't imagine that's what John the Baptist looked like. Gerald likes this because he listens to Kenny G's Christmas album every year. You know you do. Martha's shaking her head yes. Probably on eight track. There's another one of John the Baptist that appears in a lot of, in a lot of Catholic churches, stained glass. Most people think that's Jesus, but it's not. That's John the Baptist. Did he look like that? Well, let's explain a little bit about how he lived his life, and you tell me if he looked like that or if he looked like Kenny Yankovic. <laughs> John the Baptist is actually cousins with Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. Two parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah is a priest, which means they come from the line of Aaron, the priestly line, which means as John the Baptist is being raised, he's probably being groomed to be a priest, maybe a high priest, who knows? He would have been very, very familiar with what they call Torah. It's the first five books, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, in the rabbinic schools, to be a rabbi, you had to have the Torah memorized. I can't even memorize my wife's phone number, man. I need speed dial. If I lose my cell phone, I don't know anybody's number. 
And they had to memorize all of that. He probably also would have been very, very familiar with what they call the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. It's a collection of teachings of rabbis and different arguments and things. The problem with the Pharisees is, is they elevated that with the word of God, which is not. But he would have been very familiar with it. In fact, he probably had an entire path ahead of him. And then all of a sudden, God tells him that, that he needs him to go into the Judean desert and live off the land. Man, Adrian, you thought it was hard enough to live 24 hours in the woods. He had to go live there. You ever been that, been that way before? Been there where you got a whole plan ahead of you? I'm going to do this. I'm going to take over this business. I'm going to use this degree. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he asks you to shift 90 degrees or 180 degrees when you really just want to go 360 back to the life you're living. That's a math lesson for free. But, but he'll, he'll come in and he'll tell you to do something different. Now, a lot of us don't have the courage to actually do that. And we'll look back and say, I can see that God was needing me to do this and I just didn't do it. And so John the Baptist had this whole career ahead of him. It's like he was born to do it. And, and, and then God has to do something different. If you, if you take it back just a little bit, you'll read that the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah and says, hey, I know you guys have been trying to have kids for a long time. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Jason Baugh translation. And I know you all been having, you know, trying to have kids for a long time, but your wife is now pregnant and he didn't believe it. And in fact, that angel said that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. So now he's out in the Judean desert preaching that the Messiah is here. He's trending on Twitter. People are talking all about it. Why? Because now they have hope. The Messiah that we've heard about, that our great-great-grandma told us about, like now the Messiah is here. And so here's what they started to do. They started to flock to the Judean desert. And the Pharisees started calling him a heretic because he didn't go to school. He doesn't go to the synagogue. He's doing things he's not supposed to do. Don't you know the rules and the regulations that we came up with? You know the Talmud. Why, why are you doing all of these things that, that you're not supposed to do? So was he a heretic? Let's talk about it. What, what is heresy? What, what is a heretic? A heretic is somebody who goes against what's accepted in a religion. Maybe he was. Depends on who you're asking, I guess. Let me show you a map. I'm a map guy. These are the things in the back of your Bible. If you have digital Bible, they're on the back of your phone. I was just seeing if some of you are going to fall for it. I don't think anybody did. Josh Lockwood almost did. Almost. <laughs> it's the first time I've told that joke, and that went over well. You'll hear it again in two weeks. So just to give you a little bit of an idea, the Mediterranean Sea is over there, Israel's over there, and this long red line is following the Jordan River. This is, this is, where, this is where the baptisms took place. Spoiler alert, he's also going to baptize Jesus. We're going to go over that a little more next week. Uh, and right over here, it says Bethany beyond the Jordan. That's the location of Jesus' baptism. But he was a lot more north, and the Jordan River dumps into the Dead Sea. Uh, I've been baptized in the Jordan River before, which is pretty awesome. I'm going to show you a picture of what today it looks like where Jesus was actually baptized. Um, that's the Jordan River. Uh, if you'll notice, that water right there isn't exactly clean. This is the historical A site of where he was baptized. And so a little further down the Jordan is where they have uh, the tourist attraction to get baptized, same Jordan, just a little bit further down. If you ever go, visit the A site. 
but get baptized in the tourist site because it's clean, has nice bathrooms, has a good little souvenir shop where you can buy keychains of Jesus getting baptized and, and all of that kind of stuff. But over here, it's nasty. Another country purposely dumps their sewer water into here out of disrespect, and the water tastes that way and smells that way, and there's no bathrooms. And, and, and this is a side note. I don't think they're going to be watching, but we went with a couple that skipped the tourist spot because they were sick, and then they went to the historical A site and they were going to ask somebody to baptize them. And I was there with my pastor and I thought, surely they're going to ask my pastor. He's right here. And I said, Jason, will you baptize us in this? And I'm like, yes, I will. Of course I will. It'd be an honor. And then we had to go on the rest of the tour. Like I could feel the filth drying on me. That's not even in the notes. Was he a heretic? Why did they hate him so much? Is it because he was doing the baptizing? Is it because it was the first time that people even had heard of baptizing? No. They were very familiar with the idea of baptizing, but just most of the time you would cleanse yourself in the water, a ceremonial cleansing. It was very common. They would have all known that. It's in the Mosaic Law. Let me show you. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, that's why they call it the Mosaic Law. Use that as well at your tea party. Impress your friends. Verse 18. Make a bronze basin when it, when, with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons, or Aaron, and if you laugh at that, you need to get saved. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they entered the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. That's kind of what you tell your kids. You better wash your hands before dinner or you will die. This is being serious, though, because God takes his holiness serious. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for generations to come. What family line did John the Baptist come from? Through Aaron's line. So he would have been very familiar with it. So the fact that he was baptizing or with people act in, in, in the act of baptizing was unusual, but it wasn't heresy. There's two things really that the Pharisees, the religious people, didn't like. One, see, he's starting to get a following. So now all of a sudden, like you, you're not going to sit under my teaching in the synagogue, but you're going to go all the way over there? Who's this guy? What's his edu education? What are his credentials? Show me his resume. They didn't like that. And also, this is the part that may have been considered heresy at the time, is he now, instead of preaching atonement only, he's talking about repentance, a change of the heart. You see, what they had known all up to that point is if you sin, then this is what you have to do. Kill this animal to cover that, to have their blood cover that sin. And John shows up and he's like, hey, you could just try to not sin. Oh, how dare you talk about sanctification and repentance and trying to be more like the God that we're following? No, we've got our ways and our rules, and this is how it's always been. Change of heart? Why would I change my heart when I can just change my actions? It's a lot easier. You feel stretched? No? It's okay, I'm halfway done. Change of heart is a lot more difficult, but a lot more powerful. So we think we can change behavior, and it will change the heart. 
You changed the heart. The behavior will take care of itself. No one had to tell me to stop sinning when the Holy Spirit got its hooks in me. And that's what John is saying. Now, people are flocking to the Judean desert. When I first got here at this church, less than three years ago, this right here, y'all, this would have been a huge Sunday for us, one service. Like, this would have been, I promise you, this was like Easter. It was just failing. It was just, it was not doing well. And I was getting frustrated because I was under the impression it was my job to grow the church instead of it's God's job and I'm just faithful to serve whoever's in front of me. But back then I was an idiot. I'm really smart now and humble, but <laughs> I'm clap for that. This would have been a big Sunday for us. And I called my pastor super discouraged and I was like, man, what do I do? Because nobody here knows who I am. I don't know who anybody in this town is. I know nobody. I moved here in the middle of COVID, which is a terrible time, to move to a new church. And he said this. He said, show them a Jesus that they've never encountered before. And just like John the, ba John the Baptist, people will find it. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a time I went to lunch with a guy in this church around that time. He calls me up and he's like, hey, you want to go to lunch today? And this is back before I had a whole lot to do because none of you were here. And I was tired of hanging out with Gerald every day. And I was like, yeah, let's go to lunch. Gerald, I'm busy. So we go to lunch. This guy, he likes the finer things in life and he's a successful business owner and everything's, you know, with that. And he, he's like, hey, I'm my treat, I'm going to take you to a great place. And I'm like, okay. All right, we're going to Ruth's Chris, we're going to downtown Nashville, we're going to a restaurant. I get in his F-250, and we get in the car. Keep in mind, I had like a 2008 Acura, but whatever. And, and, and we get in his truck, and he gets on the, on the bypass, and he, he starts going towards Gallatin. And I'm like, wrong way, man. We're going to Nashville. There's a couple decent restaurants in Gallatin. I mean, okay, Nashville, and we start going. And, and then we pass all the restaurants in Gallatin, and I'm like, whoa. And then we cr cross some railroad tracks. There's no good restaurants next to a railroad track. <laughs> he takes me to this place. It's not even like a paved parking lot. And I got like on Chelsea boots and I don't want to get my shoes all dirty. And, and we go to this place called Top Hog. <laughs> you know the word hog isn't even spelled right in the sign, right? H-A-W-G. I sit down. Naturally, they serve my water in, uh, what's one of those glasses called? A mason jar. Yeah, you red, yeah, you red next to <laughs> A mason jar. Yeah, it's just water though, right? And the guy I go with, he orders something I never even heard of. Like pinto beans with onions, cornbread, and something green that looks slimy in a, in a bowl. And then the waitress says, honey, what do you want? I said, I'll get chicken tenders and fries because I'm eight years old. <laughs> Extra ranch. It's a good thing that he was paying for lunch because it's cash only. I'm like, bro, what is this, 1996 cash only? Right now, cash only. Raise your hand if you've been to Top Hog. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Here's the thing. Are you ready? 
The food is great. The service was great. The facilities were very run down, but clean-ish. And, and, and I was amazed at how many people just started coming into the restaurant, man, and they were taking to-go orders, and there was a wait, it was like a wait on a Tuesday at like 11.30, and I'm like, this is crazy. And I remember what my pastor just told me the day before, if you're good, people will find you. If they feel valued, people will find you. And can I tell you, I'm going to take Top Hog and John the Baptist and connect something. You never know what you're going to get. People are attracted to excellence. People are attracted when they feel valued and well taken care of. And John the Baptist at Top Hog in Gallatin or the Judean desert is preaching a Messiah that they are desperate for because they have hope for the first time in generations and they remember what their parents told them, what their grandparents told them. They clung to the, the scriptures and in the middle of it, they find hope. world needs hope today. What comes out of your mouth? Is it hope? Is it fear? Is it worry? Are you a curmudgeon? Some of you will look that up later. Or is it hope? You know what I love most about John the Baptist? He had courage. Courage to go against the status quo. Courage to go against who the so-called religious teachers were when he said, no, 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 that's not who God is. No, 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 that's not what we do. That's man-made. No, 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 no. And he had the courage to stand up for what he knew God believed in and what God said he believed in it. Courage is missing in church today. It is. You'll see courage on the battlefield in our armed services. You'll see courage in business. You'll see courage on Facebook. You'll see all kinds of courage everywhere, but you don't see it very often in the church. Men, I'm going to pick on you for just a moment. What the world needs is courage to stand up for what God's word says when society tells you something different. It needs courage to say that's not what the word of God says if religious leaders say something different. We're lacking courage in the church today. Gone are the days where we can have passive men that are not involved in the spiritual lives of their children and wives. How's that worked out for the church? You could have failed the entire time you've been married. But I'm going to give you some hope. You have the power to change it right now. Edmund Burke, a British philosopher, he said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. For far too long in the church, men have done nothing. And that's why Satan's after families. That's why we have a whole generation being raised by single mothers. That's why we have a divorce rate that's higher than it's ever been. For the first time in the history of the world, in the church, the divorce rate is above 50%. And it's growing. John the Baptist had courage. I want you to hear what happened when the Pharisees confronted John. 
Listen to this. John 1, 19 through 29. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They said, who, who, who you is? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Now some of you will not claim to be God, but make no mistake, you are your own God because you've elevated what you want over what God wants. And I've been there too. Verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And they're, they're hoping he's not Elijah because that means the Messiah is really here, right? According to them. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? John quotes this. What a gangster way to answer this question. He says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I had a professor in seminary that called John the Baptist the rototiller because he tilled up the soil for God to come in and plant things. Verse 24, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Now, like they brought in the smart guys. Then why then do you baptize if you were not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John said, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You remember what the apostles called Jesus over and over again, rabbi, teacher, it's the same here. So now they're even more paranoid with their power because he says, oh, he's amongst you right now and you don't even know it. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Picture this in your mind. John is there in the Jordan. You saw what it looked like, and he sees on the distance the Messiah, Jesus, walking up in the crowd of people. And listen to what he says. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what I love about John the Baptist. He knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't. Some of you don't know who you are. Because you walk around defeated. You walk around like your sin defines you, like the world defines you, like what you don't have defines you. You walk around really like a Christian Eeyore. I'm just a sinner. I'm not. Like, if that's who you are, then the blood of Jesus isn't powerful in your life. So I'm chosen. So I'm a child of the Most High King. Because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. If he be with me, then who be against me? You don't know who you are. flip side of that is, is he knew who he was but he also knew who he wasn't he had a following he had a blue check mark next to his name and he said behold here comes the lamb of God whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie 
And this is what he said. This is what he understood. He understood this phrase. In front of Jesus, I am nothing. Compared to Jesus, I'm a no one. I don't care how big this platform gets. In front of Jesus, I'm a nobody. I don't care how successful your business is. I don't care how many people report to you. I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care if you're an influencer. I don't care what God, how he decides to bless you. If your business is massive, we have to understand who we're not. We have to understand that I am nothing without Jesus. Have any of you ever tried to live your life on your own without God? How'd that work out for you? Worked out terrible for me. Almost cost me my marriage and everything. But with Jesus, oh, we can move mountains. We can defeat mental illness. We can overcome eating disorders. We can take the most broken, discarded of people and redeem them and use them. John knew who he was, and he knew who he wasn't very last verse by the way I think part two is even better I can't wait till next week I'm half tempted to just start preaching it right now but you want to beat the Pentecostals to lunch so I'm going to wrap it up the last scripture for today this is I, I say this a lot these are the words of John the Baptist recorded in a different John's gospel John 3.30 if I can speak to you pastorally for just a moment this is what I want for you This is what I want for me. This is how I want my life defined. This is what John said. He must become greater and I must become less. I shared this with the first service. It's totally embarrassing, but this was Jason a long time ago. My career goal was to have a school named after me. That was what I wanted. I wanted to be so influential and successful in education that somebody chose to name a school after me. How stupid is that? If that's your goal, that's stupid. I must become less so that he can become more. I must decrease so that he may increase. I want every person that I have an interaction with to say, I don't remember that guy's name, but I remember the Jesus he told me about. I remember the hope that he left me with, and I want that for you. So are you going to use what God has given you to bring him glory or to bring you glory? I want the prayer for us all to be, I need to decrease so that every person that's around me feels hope for the first time in their life and Jesus is elevated in them. And the word of God says, and if his name is lifted up, he will draw all others to him. Can I get an amen, church? Would you stand with me? It's a privilege to be able to stand up here and that God chooses to use me every week to teach his word. It's an honor that I don't take lightly. Some of you drive a long way to get here. It's like you're flooding to the Judean desert, man. So one, one couple comes from Kentucky. Some of you come from Mount Juliet, East Nashville. You pass hundreds, maybe thousands of churches, yet you come here. 
And I gotta believe it can't be the facilities, it can't be the preaching, it can't be the lights, all of that stuff is okay. Music's fantastic, the building's kind of old. It's gotta be because you feel the presence of God in this place in a way that you don't experience anywhere else. So thank you for being a part of this place, being committed. I tell this, I want all the men in here to hear this. I want you to hear it. You're doing better than you think you are, but God can use you for so much more than you think he can. You can have as much of him as you make room for, so make room. 